0: Drive-by Cinema Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun
1: Welcome to Drive-by Cinema Episode, what, five?
0: Episode five,
1: yes I'm Rick and I'm going to introduce my co-host He shall be known as Paul (laughs) Mudib.
0: Yes, I'm Paul and that's Rick uh and uh yeah, welcome to Drive By Cinema Number Five.
1: I've got to do some admin before we start. Oh. Because I've got some more listener feedback.
0: Oh gosh. Yep, I've got a letter here. Did did it arrive by pigeon or, or by, by, by conventional snail mail or?
1: Well, it's written on a heavy gauge well I suppose you'd call it parchment. <laughs> One of our listeners. Alistair. Yes. He pointed out that in the beyond...
0: Hi, Alistair, whoever you are.
1: In the beyond, we had overlooked... I had overlooked a really important plot point. I said that I had no idea what that black cloudy stuff, those powdery things in the sky were all about. Do you mean the ones they were shooting at? Toward the end of the movie. Apparently, so I am told... Yes. And I don't fully understand the details. It's a consequence, I think, of all of the other planetary bodies in the solar system being disintegrated. Ah. I didn't know this, and you didn't pull me up on this, Paul. It seems well, like an essential plot I, point.
0: I, I did not have the foggiest. How has this happened? I did not have the foggiest. I thought you had my back, man. <laughs> well, idiots, we're depth, you will. It's not working with idiots, won't you? Know? <laughs> no, it, it, you're saying it's a will-o'-the-wisp, but, you know, a remnant... Of a dead planet, smoking in the sky.
1: Well, Alistair said that it, it was only revealed in a brief moment, know, a single expositionary scene. So perhaps we can be forgiven. I mean, I did admit, I think I said as we recorded, that I had stopped taking notes. I stepped out to fetch a drink. I couldn't have been gone more than 45 minutes. I don't understand how I've missed such an <laughs>
0: essential point. Which one was the Beyond, by the way? My memory fails me. The Beyond, you know the one where the where the wormhole
1: appears above the the, the, the Earth, oh, and a scientist oh. has her brain removed to become a robot.
0: <laughs> now I remember very clearly. Yes, yes. Oh well, yeah, and apparently
1: I mean... all the all the planets in the solar system get destroyed. Apparently,
0: yeah. Right, I see. Well, you know, I don't want to sound like a restaurateur from TripAdvisor, but Alistair, if you had this problem at the time during your meal, why didn't you tell us at the time?
1: To be fair, there's a publication delay that we're dealing with. Oh, there with. is. It takes a long time to edit these days. De-
0: I don't want to sound like a TripAdvisor restaurateur, but Alison, you know, if you don't like the food, just go and cook it yourself.
1: By the way, have you seen that documentary about that guy who sets up a fake restaurant
0: that doesn't exist? Yes, his name is Dubar. Dubar, yeah. <laughs> or something like yeah, that. Duba right. Dubar Jones.
1: I guess not even the oddest thing about that documentary. I have. There is another point as well, something else we missed. This is listener Adam. Hi, Adam. Mentioned that we had overlooked. Oh, God. A key cameo in Dune.
0: Was this critical oversight on our part?
1: Well, David Lynch put himself in the mood. He did not. He played the part of, I think he was Sad the one. pilot or driver of the. No, uh, of the uh, spice mining. Thing. He was
0: not. I'll have to go back and freeze frame that one. Looking
1: very young, I thought. I thought, because considering, imagine being as young as he must have been at the time. I, can't, I haven't worked it out, but I guess he was quite young. Uh-huh. And he's given, like, the most popular sci fi book of all time. And this massive cast with some proper, some proper barnstorming actors in, in the cast. And he's got to direct the film. I thought that was, it, it shows real um, determination.
0: Uh, from the part of young Lynch. It does indeed, yes. Well well done, Adam, and well done, Alistair, for, for pointing out our failings. Interestingly, oversight has two meanings, doesn't it? Two opposite meanings.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you for the oversight on our oversight. Yes,
0: thank you for your oversight on our oversight, you overseers. A panopticon, <laughs> a panopticon of viewership, I think we have. Yeah, that's true. They miss nothing. Delightful people. I've stopped being a schizoid... Travel lodge, uh, travel, uh, travel site restaurant tour now. Uh, you can write your reviews how you want to. I, I've normalized, well, relatively normalized. <laughs> so,
1: Paul, I gave you the test. So that of was, watching... well, well, stop, stop, oh. stop,
0: stop, stop. So that was stop. your administration, administrative duties performed, yes? D- yes, it was. But inevitably, we have corrections from preceding uh, podcasts to, to, to refer oh, to. Oh, no. Yes. Yes, yes. I've been digging and i What I've, have we done now? Well, mostly me. Uh, uh, one, I said the words heterogeneous and I meant homogeneous. Uh, sorry about that, everybody. Yes, you did. Because I was thinking of the words heteronormative, well, which if you think about it, is it's is highly oxymoronic, uh, the two comp- composite parts of that word. And it confused me. And I meant to say homogeneous, I was thinking of heteronormative and it all came out wrong. I'm sorry. Sorry, Richard, you sound like you want to get a word hmm. in edgeways.
1: <laughs> no, I, I just, uh, I'm i just trying to remember the context In which you used that Well, I, I, look,
0: the correction's there if, if, if people want to go and find it, they can do Number two, uh, I said uh, Recently in uh, Cloverfield That uh, they lived in a nice White world And uh, there's a positive comma there I didn't mean only white worlds are nice I meant it was a white world And it was a middle class world That's all I meant, so please get angry But not at me
1: you just meant that you would feel
0: comfortable there. That's all you meant. <laughs> About my people. Yes. You are yes. a
1: Harkonnen.
0: <laughs> after oh, shit. So those are my... Uh, you glaring, are a Harkonnen, after all. Those are my glaring errors. Oh, one more thing. I had one more error. And that was in Brobe, or B-R-O-B, B-R-O-A-B. Do you know B-R-O-A-B? What?
1: What's a- in Brobe?
0: Brobe is Blade Runner on a budget. No. What's that? That's the movie Ex Machina. <laughs> Brobe or Ex machina,
1: no, automata was blade running. Oh, sorry, automata,
0: <laughs> automata, automata. I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. Automata, yes, I mentioned that there would be uh huge solar flares and solar winds. It's debatable, you know, uh, a post not holocaustal event, which I, I presume is what happened. We might have to wait 20 or 30 years for the dust storm to settle down, and then we will get serious solar flares. So it depends how earlier, how much earlier the the apocalyptic event happened, really. So that one's moot. But do feel free to argue your point on either side. Right, those are my corrections over, Richard. Shall we get on with business?
1: I'm sorry, by the way, if you heard a noise there. That was the sound of a commemorative 50-pence piece falling off a shelf. (laughs) I'm not a numismatist, but I found myself in possession of some collectible 50-pence pieces. And what do you do with them? I don't know what to do with them.
0: Well, I I don't know. I think it is a monopsony, isn't it? What is a monopsony? A monopsony is a monopoly of buyers rather than sellers.
1: Is this going to be a future correction you're going to have to do?
0: <laughs> I don't know. But ultimately, I think most serious traders would say, we don't buy and sell, we simultaneously buy and sell. Everything is a counterposition counter, uh, counter proposition, is it not? There are no buyers and sellers. True the, buyer, true. the buyer is a seller and the seller is the buyer. There's an exchange of goods and nothing nothing more and nothing less.
1: Otherwise, you just end up with more and more of that stuff, wouldn't you? You if would. you were just a rare books buyer, you'd end up with loads and loads of books, and what, what would be the point? I feel we digress. It's quiz time, the traditional oh start of this podcast quiz, in which I ask you the challenging question, what is the name of the movie that we watched this week?
0: Oh, hell. Now, I'm lucky because I just watched it, so uh, my dementia won't kick in at this point. It is Moon, or it was Moon. From 2007 or 2009, I didn't do my homework that well. Google it yourself, people.
1: Well, let's see how well you did do your homework. What is it about the director of this film? What's his claim to fame, the director of this? Uh,
0: His claim to fame is... Is this the question? Is this the quiz? His His claim to fame is that he is credited for the story and the directorship of this movie.
1: His claim to fame is that his father is David Bowie...
0: No way. David jo- Duncan Jones' father is David Bowie. Wow. Well, I mean hmm. I mean he kind of made no, the wrong movie. I think that, that should <laughs> What
1: do you mean? What should he have be been making? Well
0: this movie seems to be Is There Life on the Moon and he should have made Is There Life on Mars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I mean there is already Come on, uh, a famous. Get it together. I don't think we should let this colour our opinion or judgement of his movie it should live I or might I'll just die on change my scores
0: on the basis of that Did you know that David Bowie was <laughs> responsible for one of the uh, funniest uh, art world art world prank heists in history He created a completely false artist and kind of jazzed up his reputation and uh, the art didn't exist and the artist didn't exist And suddenly, this artist was one of the most popular and most uh, cited artists in the world over a period of about three or six months, three to six months. Rather like the guy you just set up, you just told us who set up a restaurant in his own back garden. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, so this is Moon. It's from 2008. I'm not entirely sure which year. And here's my quick summary. Chesney Hawks, four songs, plot holes, the size of a crater, dark side of the moon. Uh, Very worthy science, noise cancelling headphones, all those kind of things for me to discuss in the next 60 minutes. What about you, Richard? Any summaries?
1: I know I always say this, but it's worth Ah. saying this week, huge spoilers here, right? Uh, We're not going to hold it back, we're not going to pull any punches. If you haven't seen Moon and you think spoilers matter, you probably should go see it and then come back (laughs) to this point.
0: But please do come back, yeah.
1: It's a twist movie,
0: right? I mean, the whole purpose of this oh, film is... Well, I, I didn't call them twists, Richard. I call them plot moments because they were like... You know when people just have a really bad day in the supermarket and they have that kind of moment where they change their trolley direction and bump into people? It's I, I, it's like the screenplay have plot moments every 15 minutes. Yeah, it was interesting. The, lo- the number of twists that were in this movie. Let's just explain what's going on then.
1: Yes. So you've got this guy played by Sam Rockwell, called Sam Bell. Must have been easy on set for him there. And he is living on the far side of the moon, not the dark side, Paul, because it isn't dark as you point out, uh, not all the time, anyway. And he, what is he doing there? Well, he's a kind of a miner, and he's helping to run this helium three mining operation.
0: Now, stop a second. And he's on a three-year contract. Oh. Helium three? Are we to assume that this is not helium two? Ah, well I looked into this because I was really because interested. Helium this three would here. actually be lithium, wouldn't it, if it had three protons? Or something like lithium.
1: No, that's not how isotopes work, is it? It's changing the atomic weight, but not the atomic number. It's still atomic number two, but it's got one fewer neutron. Oh one
0: fewer case. neutron, okay. Oh, so it is completely feasible. Alright, okay. It is feasible and has it been fused before?
1: Helium-3 is genuinely a thing they might want to use for no fusion reactors. Wow. Because the, the nuclear reactions that occur with helium-3... Props to the science so far. They don't give off neutrons. And if you have Look, nuclear they're reactions... They're
0: lacking in... neutrons, aren't they? I mean, I mean yeah.
1: If <laughs> you have nuclear reactions giving off neutrons, the neutrons fly out and they wind up in the nucleuses of the atoms around in, you know, in the container... And that makes them unstable, and that therefore makes them radioactive. So you irradiate all of the stuff around you, or make it radioactive, it's a better word. So it would be genuinely useful to use helium-3 for a fusion reactor if you had one. Got it. And the other thing about helium-3 is it's pretty rare on Earth. Almost all of our helium is helium-4. That's mostly coming out of the crust, and almost all of it comes from alpha decay. Of heavy yeah. elements.
0: Now, LCD- helium, helium 4, sorry, sorry, hold your thought. Helium 4 is actually not dangerous uh, because, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you give it children, the interminable squeaky voices continue and they don't die. Whereas there's a chance here we could administer Helium 3 to annoying children at fairgrounds. And it, it, it could be good in terms of eradication procedures. Sorry, Richard, you were saying isotopes, I think.
1: <laughs> Safety notes. Do not give helium of any kind to children.
0: <laughs> yes, sorry, sorry, L- lawyer declamation. Yes, please don't. Uh, these there is no advice in these podcasts, and there is no legal advice in particular. In fact, just don't do anything we say. Thanks.
1: Do not take child safety advice from this podcast. <laughs> Most of the helium in the crust on Earth comes from alpha decay of heavy elements, ah. and alpha particles are helium four nuclei. So almost they all of the are. helium.
0: Yes, in they are. Wow, I forgot about that. No. Now, now, wait, stop, 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 stop. Richard, was this something you researched on off the back of this movie, or is this something you looked at before?
1: No, I looked it up on the back of this movie because oh, they say they, there's a very short preamble at the beginning about how they're mining helium three for yeah, energy. I wrote and it they down. They say in my something notes, about
0: yeah. fusion energy,
1: energy of the sun trapped in the rocks of the moon, and that seemed like a really strange thing to it say. Did. But actually. It did. It's, it's perfectly true. It's true. Because the origin of the helium in the rocks on the moon is the solar wind. There are particles emitted by the sun all the time. And the sun is at least partially made of helium and hydrogen.
0: So I'd uh, like to thank high. Richard for these past A-level pass notes for A-level physics. Thank you. <laughs> would, you like, would you like to talk about beta radiation too, perhaps? Uh,
1: that's Don't be negative. Now, the,
0: is it, um, Isn't that just a fast electron?
1: Yes, exactly. That oh. was my joke, you see.
0: It was, it was very funny. Now, getting on to funny people, uh, Gertie is the other person in this movie.
1: Kevin Spacey.
0: Kevin Spacey, yeah. So, uh, it's just his voice, isn't it?
1: It's just his voice. And
0: the nice thing about... Unless, of course, Kevin went full kind of method and actually dressed up as the robot. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Entirely. That would be nice to think of. Poor Kevin. He's having a hard time over these few years. Allegedly.
1: I don't mind that you stopped me midway through my science ramble, but I yes. did want well, to We've we passed the... our level now,
0: Richard. Well, I think we can move on.
1: I, I wanted to use the word <laughs> regolith or regolith.
0: Please do. That's moon soil. Were you looking to use it appropriately or inappropriately? Because you, you could one-up you me by using it inappropriately and I wouldn't know. <laughs> you could be laughing at me. You could, be sneering, you could be snidely sneering at me as I didn't correct you. What, what, is red,
1: very, what is regolith? regolith. What is What is it? It's moon soil. So it's powdered rock formed over millions of years by you know meteorite impacts on the moon, and it's caused it caused you know Armstrong and Aldrin and all the lunar astronauts, the uh, Apollo astronauts, a lot of trouble because it's extremely abrasive material. You know on, on all of the spacesuit joints and stuff.
0: No way. Hmm.
1: I liked the
0: way. Gertie has Well, sorry, can I just interrupt? Back to Gertie, who is the uh, on board. Hal, I guess the onboard uh, omnipresent artificial intelligence. Gertie has a real attitude.
1: He has an attitude.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: He's a bit proper. But then Sam does too. They're
0: they're, they're both cantankerous little 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 runts. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It seems that it would be an arduous three year contract to spend up there. For those, <laughs> those two doesn't it? But fortunately, no one else is up there. And the other convenient thing is there's no communication back to Earth because. The satellite that trans transmits back to Earth is not available, and as far as I can tell, hasn't been available for three years of his
0: contract. Wow! So it's just him up there with a rather a rather n- non animatronic and rather non human looking robot.
1: So yet again, this is a lockdown movie and a half.
0: Oh hell yes! I think this is more locked down than even Marshallton. Like, he tends plants like Matt Damon does too, so so credit for, credit where credit is due.
1: Not for food though, his food is kept in a kind of open fronted refrigerator, which is like an Ikea shelving unit, full of little trays, which when he opens one and has one <laughs> I think it's full of little sealed packets of baked beans and stuff that he cuts open and, and sips on.
0: Well, I think it was around the time the movie was made that IKEA was suggesting a a fridge. That uh, levitated your food anyway. So this movie isn't as advanced as the research peeps at IKEA.
1: No, in fact, all of the tech in this movie, I think, is basically achievable with one, possibly two exceptions. But basically, you know, you you could, if with the money and the the will, set up a moon base on the far side of the moon to mine helium three, and it's been genuinely suggested. According to you, it's no big no big deal to send someone with three <laughs> years worth of food, especially if it's all in hey,
0: those, hey. Hey, look, look, look. If you've not shot a moose, do not comment. Look, right, look, right. Okay, so I wanted oh, to have say... have you shot a moose? No, no, I'm not commenting. I'm moving on quickly to say, <laughs> to say, if you've ever been to Japan, you may or may have not stayed in a bubble or capsule hotel. And you'll notice it's a particularly Japanese-styling, kind of like a very zen, but also very institutionalised kind of utilitarian wood and sort of uh, baker-like feel to it all. But if you go and stay in a capsule hotel in other East Asian countries, like Singapore, they're kind of done up in a very plastic, plasticky kind of white plastic effect with lots of space-like writing and lots of neon lights inside the pods. And uh, that was the aesthetic that this movie went for. Everything was white and plastic on the inside.
1: I liked the set design. I mean, let's face it, I don't think this is a particularly high-budget movie.
0: No. I'll tell you why not. There were only four songs in this movie.
1: All by Clint Mansell.
0: Well, potentially six songs, therefore, because there was also two smash hits. Walking on the Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves being one of them.
1: Oh, sorry, yeah. The soundtrack, the original soundtrack was by Clint Mansell. Obviously, Katrina and the Waves aren't Clint Mansell.
0: Now, you might say, how do they get about on the, on, the, on the moon's surface? Do they go out? Yes, they do. He goes out to check the harvesting... The combine harvesters of Moonrock, and uh, he heads out on Big Track. Do you remember Big Track from, <laughs> from from your childhood? The of a little. Moon, I had a big track. Yeah, the, the and programmable I had, moon buggy. Yes,
1: it had. A, I had one with a tipping trailer on the back as well.
0: If you don't know that, guys, you might remember Jetpack by uh, Ultimate Play the Game. Uh, there was a moon buggy very similar to what he used in this movie in that computer game from 1984,
1: I think. Uh, And again, this is technology that we have. There are moon buggies similar to this that, you know, NASA and stuff have been playing with.
0: Sure, but I think 10 wheels would be more sensible than the six that were on this one.
1: The only thing I would say about the... I, I, I mean, I like the production design, right? That's all pretty cool. And particularly, like, for the budget, you know, they did a good job. They did a damn uh, good like, job, yes. Well done, Peter. Those Pete. rails that Gertie hangs on uh, around the, the habitation unit are really cool. But the only thing was the special effects weren't totally convincing, like some of the outsidey bits I didn't feel totally held up. And also, outside, he bunny-hops around like an Apollo astronaut, which I realise is partly the stiffness of suits, but he's also to do with the gravity. And inside... There was no evidence that they were in a lower gravity at all. They were just going around like normal. And I guess it would be impossibly expensive to simulate that, but it just slightly jarred. I couldn't quite get over that bit.
0: Sure. I I was busy at the beginning just to concern myself with the interminable opening credits. They seemed to go on for seven minutes. Oh, yeah, but they were really cool because they did them over the action. Now, the
1: music was good, actually. That's the Clint Mansell original soundtrack. Yeah. Really
0: haunting. And then we meet Sam, who's very bad-tempered, has a beard and also a Hawaiian t-shirt. And then what happens in the movie, Richard?
1: He's getting ready to go home, isn't he? And he's going to shave his beard. He's going to go back to his wife. It's been three long years. And he gets occasional video messages... From a one way only though, one way communication, or at least it's not interactive because the delay would be too long. Because they all come through Jupiter for some reason that's not really properly explained. Mm. But he then has a bit of an accident.
0: Well, before that, where it stops, the, before he has an accident outside. Yeah, Gertie uh, tries to get Sam to believe that Sam is hallucinating. He says, "There's nothing on TV, Sam. What did you just see on TV?" Now at this point, this is the first plot pivot or uh, plot twist, or as I like to call it, plot kind of uh, hectic moment where we're meant to think is Gertie just you know sadistic and play mind games because he's bored out there. He's he's gaslighting him. But is he gaslighting? He is
1: hallucinating, right? He's falling apart ah. actually. He's been on the moon for 3 years. months and you know,
0: 3 years uh, takes its toll.
1: 3 years, yeah, yeah, it takes its toll, doesn't it? He hallucinates. If you
0: I mean if you're on the moon for 3 years, I think the last thing you want to do is to set your alarm ringtone to Chesney Hawks, I am the one and only. <laughs> I mean, it would drive anybody crazy. But the second There's a line hidden of, meaning to that though, isn't there? Yes. Nobody I'd rather be is a second line to that tune. And that's relevant when we're talking about a movie, as we'll find out, which is about clones.
1: Clones. Now I've got to stop here because just about reaching the point where we do the big reveal. Got to say that casting a movie with clones in is very difficult. It because is. Because any actor knows but once they've been cloned, they can expect half of the work that they've had up to then. Stands to the reason, doesn't it? Because their clone is going to get the other half. And if, <laughs> as in this movie, there are two clones, you're going to get a third from that point on. So only the most confident actors are going are gonna to sign up for these kind of projects.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a clone. But we don't know he's a clone. And we don't find out until Sam has had his accident on the outside in his moon buggy.
1: Well, it's Same. clever, isn't it? This is really nice the way they do it. So Sam, he has an accident because he's not paying attention. He crashes into the helium three harvester. We then see Gertie, the robot butler, tending to uh, Sam on you know a med bay table kind of thing. Yeah, he brings him around and he says, "You've been in an accident, Sam," and he is supposed to like reacclimatise and recuperate and stuff. But then he notices that one of the harvesters is broken, no doubt, because someone some fool crashed into it. And eventually his curiosity gets the better of him and he engineers a situation where he goes outside, despite Gertie telling him not to. And he drives off and he goes to that harvester and he sees that a moon buggy has crashed into it. And he goes into the moon buggy and he sees a dead body. Well, not a dead body, actually, a a body in there. And it turns out that it's... Him. It's the first guy. It's him. It's Sam. Oh my God.
0: Recursive, recursive mirrors upon mirrors. What madness have we entered into? Well, we're about to find out. It is a clone. I would like a clone. So the guy that woke up and was told he was in an accident wasn't in an accident. That's
1: the thing, isn't it? It's really, really clever the way they do that because he says, how long have you been out? Have I been out to Gertie? And Gertie says something like, not long. And uh, that's kind of a clue, isn't it? It's sort of to tip you off in a way.
0: Yes, I thought that was quite that that tension, that uh, lack of resolution in in the in the divergent plot potentialities that go through your mind was really maintained. Uh, with nice gossamer 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 spider spider thread tension, there. really well scripted and really well plotted. That was, I think it's one of the nicest parts about this movie was uh, it, the tension and uh, uh, the tension held together really quite well. Would you like a clone of me? Or somebody else. Of you, obviously. You. No, I prefer a clone of somebody else.
1: Oh. What would you do with a clone of somebody else?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'd, like, well, they'd, they'd have the memories of the person, but they wouldn't really be aware of... What?
1: What you were doing to them?
0: No, 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 no. No, it's like you could start again with people, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so they'd have the
1: memories, but they wouldn't remember how shitty you were to them.
0: Yeah, they'd have the same... Sort of, what can we say? Global Personality. Memories, but they, they won't, and, yeah, but they would not have the specific memories of me.
1: <laughs> See, this is the problem with cloning, and the problem with Sam's clones in the movies. This is one of the plot holes. Well, yeah, not really. I suppose they try and explain it, but obviously, if if, if you have a clone of somebody, it's a blank slate, right? It's a tabula rasa. You're not going to get any useful work out of them because you'll have to spend 18 years teaching them how to, you know, wipe their arse, will not you? Yes, and Now in this movie they say something about implanting memories Which is a very hand wavy thing To get over the whole damn problem with it Just ha- you know, How do you do that anyway But I presume that the idea is That they have to make him like Sam Bell on Earth Whoever he is Because Sam Bell is a trained engineer Who can fix all the systems in the lunar base So
0: Now Sam looks a little bit like Harrison Ford Sam number two
1: well, more like Sam Rockwell, I would, I would argue, but
0: because I think
1: it was all played by Sam Rockwell.
0: <laughs> so anyway, the the Moon Harvest of the breakdown is called Matthew, and at this point, my plot moment was, you know, is Gertie staging a revolution by Leninist defeatism? You know, is he damaging? Is he damaging the machinery in order to, you know, take over kind of thing? But it, no, that but
1: wasn't the case. Well, maybe he was because you know, was he th- was he throwing because before the someone so, crashes, so. he sees video logs that were taken by previous Sam's, I think. Oh, is that right? I, th- I think there's like a brief flash of That's right, those yeah. videos. And presumably yes. Gertie
0: is doing that. Or maybe Gertie is told to set this up like this every every three <laughs> years, you know. Maybe this is part of the way they, you know. If you want a curious cat to die, the best way is to make it curious, isn't it? And he's making, you know, he's sort of reve- is he revealing these things slowly to get Sam to, you know, cross boundaries and kill himself, so to speak. Look, I've got to say, I really
1: like this movie.
0: I do love it. Yeah, I now now at this point can I just say uh, if Gertie is trying to escape and Sam is trying to escape, it's not just AI in a box. It's AI in a box with a human in a box constrained <laughs> by the AI in a box. Yeah, it? true. It's really weird. Look,
1: there's some great ideas in this movie, but I have started thinking that there's some plot holes that do puncture my balloon a little bit. Gertie is one of them because I was never really convinced like which side Gertie is on. And he seems
0: to flip-flop anyway, at the convenience well, of the plot. this is it. I mean, to the extent that I was thinking, like, is Gertie just creating or these communications? Communications down, but the uh, the, the saved video logs of uh, Sam's hmm. communication with his wife. Is it all just Gertie being a very clever AI? But, sorry, plot holes. Here we go. Well, we look, should. okay. Well, hit me with the first one. Firstly,
1: why... Why does the company need to station a man, or as we later learn, a whole series of, I don't know, at least 50 clones on the far side yes. of the moon, when all his job seems to be is occasionally he goes out and kicks one of the harvesters. And his other job, the only uh-huh. thing you see him do as work in the movie, is taking a can of two canisters of helium-3 and putting them in, in a chute, <laughs> which fires them back to Earth. That's all he ever does. And Gertie's there <laughs> with a robot arm yes. that can like type on a keyboard and do other things and do surgery and medicine. I'm, I'm sure Gertie could handle this. <laughs> shit. Why do you need a human being there? That's a very this fair is an point. age-old yeah. question. Yeah. In, in well, science fiction, less so actually. In science fiction, you usually want to send a human. But in real space exploration, we haven't done very much human exploration. We've mostly sent robots. You know, to all the exciting places, we sent the robots. One of the many problems is like crew boredom. You know, if you're going to send someone to Mars, it's going to take months in space. What are they going to do? It's I don't know. Boredom. It's a big problem. Exactly. Drugs. You have to give them <laughs> drugs, I
0: guess. So, well, I, I think some of this comes down to the, the time it was shot. You know, 2006, 2007, 2008. One, like uh, when uh, the rescue ship is arriving later on in the movie. There's a, a, there's a big sort of neon kind of arrival board, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like tablets and. You know, pinch and twist uh, tablet windows. You know, multiple windows on a on a phone device it just hadn't been thought of. The
1: rescue ship is another plot hole, right? Because when one of the harvesters properly breaks because someone crashes into it, which and it, and someone only crashed into it because they thought to put human beings on the far side of the moon with with rovers, right? Uh, but when it when it breaks because someone's crashed a rover in. And that can't possibly be fixed by the robot, or for that matter, by Sam. They've got a ship on standby that can go and yep. fix it and make everything right. So they could have just left the whole <laughs> base without anybody
0: on there, couldn't they? They could. I mean, the point is, in 1928, we actually on Earth had robotic hands. That is, you know, you put your ha- hand in the glove, and then the robot will mimic no. your movements almost entirely. So Where? even a simple
1: in 19- mechanistic
0: form of robot... 28, yeah. 1928, yeah, yeah. So even a simple form of robotization. Would have been possible, you know. They could have stayed in, and then you know the, the the robot exoskeleton that was mimicking their movements could have gone out to do the fixing for them. So yes, and there's no reason for him to be outside in in the airless moon night, doing whatever he's doing, doing his Daytona moon buggy kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's one thing to say. I mean, I I was looking forward because I I had I had an intimation. All oh, these clones. There's going to be lots of clones. There's going to be an outfits of dead clones that they've you know they've killed before and had before which ultimately proved to be true by this movie, I thought, God, this is going to be Groundhog Day of Clones, you know, an infinite recursive loop of human in a box. And it, 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 it sort of uh, made me think back to the old movie uh, trope, you know, shoot him, he's the real <laughs> Slim Shady. And then we'd have 50 of them saying, no, it's him, no, it's him, no, it's him. Like, uh, what those people on the Rick and Morty called the little blue men?
1: Oh, uh, the Meeseeks. seeks <laughs> Yes,
0: you know, I thought we'd have an infinite number of Meeseeks. seeks me uh, Misics, Sams of Kerry say, "Shoot him, shoot him! It's not me." But uh, that that comical moment never actually. Occurred. There
1: are a lot of clones in the cellar, aren't there? Like yeah, drawers upon you know, drawers of them.
0: And Unity has got through a whole a whole morgue of uh, of No,
1: Now I think we know that there can't have been more than about five clones so far because the videos, which presumably must have been taken when they started the project, the little girl is, you know, I don't know, three or two or something. And then later yes. you see her as KS Scudolero, and she's 15 or so, she says, on the call. So that's only like four or five clones worth of... That is only time. four
0: or five, yeah. But I, I like the fact that Sam gets his comeuppance, uh, because when his clone arrives, uh, finally he, he has to talk to somebody who is as difficult, obstinate, and, co- and cooperative <laughs> as he is himself. They're actually
1: strangely different, though, aren't they? Don't they, they try are, to yeah. emphasise that one of them is more violent than the other?
0: <laughs> well, one of them's a better fighter, isn't he? He, 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 uh, he, likes, he likes a bar brawl.
1: But it does strike me that keeping a cellar full of clones, even though they're on ice, you're still going to have to maintain basic life support to them, aren't you? Again, it just comes back to why, why bother with all that stuff? Just get more robots.
0: Now, Sam's been away from his wife for quite some time, and at some point he does... He does sort of intimate that he has questions about his wife's fidelity. He says, "Oh, my beautiful daughter, but she might be the milkman's daughter." Yeah. Well, I was thinking, well, she might be the milkman's clone's daughter. You never know.
1: <laughs> you think United Dairies are cloning milkman? Could be. <laughs>
0: so there we go. Right. So, so ha- have we explained the plot? I don't think we have, Richard. Could you just give one of your very precise synopses of what actually happens in this in this movie?
1: Sam, having discovered that he is one of a series of clones. He realises that things are not quite what they seem. His company that's employing them hasn't been totally honest with them. He figures out that the supposed communications blackout with Earth can't possibly be all it seems either. And he goes out and he discovers that there is this transmitter tower, uh, in fact, several transmitter towers, surrounding the lunar base, which he reasons... Correctly, as it turns out, and I don't know why, but he reasons that these are jammer towers that are inhibiting those Do you think
0: that Gertie would just let him out by by him bursting a, chemo- a chemical pipe?
1: I think we... Again, this is Gertie and his weird sort of two-faced character, isn't it? I think Gertie is programmed not to harm and always to... Well, not to harm the clones up until the point where he puts them in an incinerator and incinerates them. Although I guess they do that willingly because they think they're being sent back home uh, but in fact as it turns out it's a box that sets them on fire.
0: That's why I was thinking curiosity killed the cat. you know does he does Gertie engineer these accidents in order for to get them to kind of get in that box somehow you know has he played this game before?
1: Well they must be them? keen to go home after three years anyway I mean I guess oh yeah the videos in part so I think we have to assume as I say that they've got to implant all of Earth Sam's memories into space Sam so that Space Sam knows how to fix things. But unfortunately, that means he thinks he's got a wife and kid, which he doesn't, yes. because Earth Sam has them.
0: I mean, Gertie's very sympathetic to their to their, to their their circumstances. Uh, they have a fight, and they break uh, their little wooden uh, model of a town that they're building. And one Sam says, Gertie, do you know how much time I put into that model? And Gertie says, 938 hours. And uh, Sam says, 938 hours? And Gertie says, yes, approximately. So he has a sense of humour. Gertie. He's, he's, he's a funny robot.
1: I think we're supposed to assume that Gertie has grown from his basic programming, and that he's become attached or affectionate towards Sam. That's right, yeah. Seems to be what they're getting at. I like uh, Gertie's cup holder. That's a neat touch. And the use of the emoticons for a face. Although... <laughs> I would have liked to see a poop one, or maybe uh, the eggplant one might have been appropriate for Kevin's Spacey. I really
0: like the help, but uh, thirty-three minutes, forty-three minutes and thirty, we were given that we were given uh, in order to understand the story. Where you know they discovered there are two, two of them being clones, and then they discover a secret kind of place, and one of them says, "There might be more clones down here." Uh, you don't say. <laughs> I was. not I hadn't guessed that at all in my own mind, but for anybody that hadn't actually considered that possibility, the, the movie really does help you out with that. So then one of them goes looking for the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, i.e. the secret compartment in the spaceship.
1: They've worked out that the company that does this is not going to be too happy that they figured out that they're clones. And they put two and two together and realised that since they've been burning clones for the last you know dozen years, they're not going to hesitate to... Exterminate them when the cleanup crew arrives. And so Sam number two, who's a bit more physically capable, because Sam number one is disintegrating.
0: Is that because he got a blast of the, uh, the the tower mast, whatever it's called? The I don't know what you call it.
1: No, no. The, the clones have got a lifespan. They've run out ah. after three years. That's the idea. Now I don't know that's whether that's because. Again, you know, cloning is real technology. There's nothing like pie in, pie in the sky here, is there? I mean, they can no, clone sheep. No, think it's all, no. I think... Is it the case that clones sometimes have genetic or congenital abnormalities? Or am I, am I imagining that? I confuse science fiction with real. real uh, at this point,
0: I have to say, you, it's, it's, you, you know a lot, more than me about... It's life sciences, I, isn't it?
1: I'm out, out of my depth here. But in this movie, I think they are programmed to disintegrate or they can't keep him going for long enough. I guess yeah. the problem is that he's getting antsy about going home anyway. So in a sense, after three years of stringing him along with the same video of his wife you know, on loop, that they've got to get rid of him and start again. Maybe that's the, the conclusion they came to. Whether it's because the cloning technology is imperfect or they've designed him to, clone number one is falling apart. Really, quite unpleasantly, actually. It's, it's not nice to watch, is it? Sam number two engineers this plan to send Sam number one back home through the completely crazy idea of popping him in the linear accelerator they used to send helium three back. (laughs) Well, yeah, Uh, but he said he he said he'd done the sums, so that's fine.
0: He had done the sums. He said you might feel some G's, but you'll be okay. What happens at the other end, though? (laughs) I guess he splash lands in the ocean. (laughs)
1: Oh well, okay. Of course, what happens is Sam number one realizes that his time is limited anyway, and he encourages Sam number two to take the escape route. The plan is they get one of the clones out of the, the clone cellar and they put him in defrost mode. Sam number one goes off and puts himself back where Sam number two found him in the crashed rover and so, dies. Yeah, so the cleanup crew will find him and get rid of the evidence, and repair the harvester. Meanwhile, Sam number two, he can put himself in the linear accelerator with a spacesuit and some provisions for the journey, presumably, and he puts it on automatic to fire himself back to Earth where, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? He's going to go home and try and see his daughter.
0: He's going to (laughs) swim presumably to uh, a nearby shore of a rather large Pacific Ocean.
1: He, He has a last act, doesn't he? He jumps out just before he gets fired off. And he runs over to the controls on the harvester, and he sets it so that it will knock over the tower of the jamming towers, so that the new clone who's about to wake up will be able to communicate with Earth.
0: Yes. So I thought there were two things towards the end of this movie, you know, when uh, Gertie, you know, Gertie has a change of heart because halfway through the movie, you think Gertie's a real badass. You know, it looks like he's playing with the live feed before we realise that there are are these jammer towers. It looks like he's playing with the live feed, you know, and hoarding the live feed and saving it up and not giving it to them to, to, to communicate with people back home. And then he lets people overhear him. Uh, Talking with the executives from Earth on purpose, maybe. Oh! Just think that Gertie's one big Beatles about, you know. You think he let them over here? Potentially. Well, this is the. Well, as it turns out, I don't think so, but halfway through the movie, you don't really know what Gertie's role is in this, do you?
1: This is a plot hole, I think, because halfway through the movie, yeah, Sam overhears Gertie apparently talking with the executives, which, by the way, include Matt Berry. And, uh, yeah, so. If Gertie can communicate live with the executives back on Earth, then what are the Jammer Towers actually doing? They, they yes. can't possibly be jamming the signal. You said they maybe switched them off. But how would they have known to have switched them off
0: from the Earth? Well, this is, this is a massive plot hole. Um, hmm. So, but towards the end of the movie, I think there are two areas where it could have really been legitimately a little more melodramatic. You know, uh, Sam gets back to Earth, and the only upswing of it is that he acts like a relatively successful whistleblower and negatively affects the share price of the company that sent him out there by 35%. I mean, it's not... I mean, well done, but we wouldn't pin a whole storyline on this, you know, for the success of a, an industrial industrial whistleblower to start off with, yeah. Two is when Gertie is saying goodbye to them, they could have played on the fact that Gertie developed a liking and a, conscious, a consciousness of his own, and shutting him down would be irreversible, and there could have been a sad goodbye moment from Gertie that was unre- irrecoverable. But instead, oh, he just he just boots back up again. So I think two dramatic elements were really missing from from the end of the movie to make it a satisfying, a satisfying pot boiler. But, but apart from that, the scripting I thought was really good.
1: Well, the other thing is that they were doing that resetting of Gertie to try and hide the tracks. They'd put. Uh, Sam number one back in the rover so that it all looked as uh, you know as if that was part of the accident and they hadn't discovered that the clones existed and then they were going to uh, reset Gertie's memory so all these recordings of all the conversations and stuff wouldn't tip the company off to the fact that they had all been discovered as if Gertie can't just transmit all that data back to Earth anyway because obviously as he does have control of the in some way, of the, the uplink. But then, if he sets the harvester to knock over the tower, that kind of gives the game away anyway, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> the, they would figure it out, wouldn't they, surely? And and when he's down on Earth whistleblowing, also.
0: So, my, my point was, when the, when the rescue ship arrived, had they discovered though Do you think they would have exterminated him? What would they have done?
1: Yeah, I think they would have started again. They would have killed all of the clones. I think that's what you're supposed to think. They would have killed all the clones, got a new one out, put everything back to normal... And, you know, it would be like resetting the clock. If Sam had had a more satisfying job, where, you know, he advanced the cause or built a new part of the lunar base or something, then you might argue that, you know, three years of fulfilling life, you know, with memories of a of a happy married life on Earth, uh, and, and then, you know, it all ends painlessly in a euthanasia box, might yes. be quite a nice way to live. But as it is, uh, all he does is move canisters from point A to point B
0: and press a button, <laughs> <laughs> and hang out and listen to Chesney Hawks all day. So yeah, so I I don't know what the movie was, was about, Rich. I mean, there were reflections of Auschwitz, weren't there? There were reflections of the nature of, in you know, life as an industrial drone or as you know, as an ant in the industrial cog and, cog and machinery of of 20th century life. But I'm not sure those observations are are, are, as relevant for the lives that we lead today as they could have been. Uh, So I don't know. I don't know what the overriding thesis of the movie was.
1: I want a clone so that I can harvest its organs.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you could have more than one clone, couldn't you?
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, I could have several. But, you know, just imagine being able to live your life knowing that you had a spare... Liver, uh, you know, lungs, kidney, corneas available to you.
0: So at some point towards the end, uh, as the arrivals board is showing, you know, uh, this uh, this mothership, this this uh, saviour ship is about to arrive. They kind of pull out like uh, what looks to be a very futuristic version of a Panasonic Toughbook.
1: I'm not oh, sure what yeah. it was for. That's how that's how clone number one goes. He drives out of the jammer zone. In fact, no, he drive he must. Presumably, he drives over. Yeah, because you see the Earth rise, don't you? He drives over so he can see the Earth, and he can use the uh, p- apparently connect to a cell phone network.
0: <laughs> well, this is it. You see, I mean, we have an arrivals board that lo- looks like you know a, uh, an LED weather weather today display that you might see outside of school. It's uh, not an arrivals. You uh, don't board. have smartphones on this on this moon. It's, it's, it's
1: showing how it's showing the status of the different harvesters.
0: And you couldn't see that on his smartphone or very futuristic Panasonic Toughbook. Yeah, I suppose. I
1: suppose that's not very realistic, but it looked good.
0: It uh, did look good, yeah. Yeah. So, was your mind blown by this movie or not, Richard? It
1: was. It was genuinely... I, I was genuinely yeah. entertained. I, I really the enjoyed
0: The plot it. twists were enough to keep anybody thinking. Uh, I like the way they opened up possibilities and then, oh, it was great. You know, the, uh, the branching of the potential ways that the storyline could develop was great. I think at the end, you know... My point was, he's escaping to Earth. How do we even know that Earth still exists?
1: Well, this is back, this is another Jacob's Ladder thing that you're
0: p- positing here, isn't it? Well, I'm fond of them, aren't I? But, well, we don't know, do we? You know, I mean, he's been isolated from Earth. Maybe it was all just to keep him safe from the knowledge that Earth has been blown up, and he's the last, these clones are the last remaining survivors of humankind. Yeah, but
1: then the repair crew turn up, so. And you see Matt Berry on the telephone. And you see K.S. Scudolero on the telephone as
0: well. Those could be uh, avatars of some nature, couldn't they?
1: Yeah, deep fakes, maybe. Potentially. All the rage now.
0: So yeah, I mean, my mind was blown, I have to say. Well, I think then we may be at sort of scoring point. We definitely are at our scoring interlude. Look, okay, let's start off with the acting. What do you think about the acting?
1: Well, Sam Rockwell doing the work of three people. Well, two and a half people. <laughs>
0: And let's not forget uh, our good fellow doing the work of one robot. Yeah,
1: Uh, Easy job, though. And, you know, the advantage of putting a potentially problematic actor, although you said he'd been cleared, uh, in the role of a robot, is you could just replace his voice, couldn't you?
0: Wow. You see, I'm not sure he was in trouble at the time, although the stories must have been circulating around Hollywood.
1: Because he was in, wasn't he playing John Paul Getty or something in another movie and they recast it totally? Or did I, th- I
0: don't know, but he was in Guangzhou around about this time f- f- filming a Chinese a Chinese movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember hearing that. Yeah.
0: Having said that, I met Jean-Claude Van Damme in the visa office in Guangzhou.
1: Visa office? Oh, getting a visa.
0: He was getting a visa to come and shoot a movie.
1: Like, like a kickboxing movie?
0: Yeah, like he still makes them incredibly. Wow.
1: <laughs> what did, did you interact with Jean-Claude Van Damme?
0: No, I just stared at him.
1: Ah, yeah. The muscles from Brussels. The muscles from Brussels. Uh, So, your acting score then for this. Oh, I
0: like to, you know, uh, I I think any problems in terms of characterisation, uh, the plot arc that would allow a resolution in in the characterisation, some sort of transformation or or resolution didn't occur. It was not because of the acting, it was simply because it wasn't scripted in. So, uh, a a sturdy 8.5 from me. I will give it an eight. Yeah. Now, on to screenplay, plot, holistic kind of score for all that kind of nonsense.
1: Yes. Okay. I think this is where all the crimes that I've mentioned actually fall, if I'm honest. Yes. I want to like this movie, though. It does entertain me, no question. I mean, I'll give it a seven, you know, for everything that I enjoy about it. It has a couple of faults, but I'll let them slide. You know, this is a thing movie makers need to learn. You know, if you please your audience, they'll let you get away with murder, won't they? Well, like
0: I say, uh, the plot twists entertained, but there was never a pivotal moment where characters uh, underwent transformation, either through an- antagonism uh, with each other or, or, or whatever. That wasn't scripted, and it wasn't a very human movie, so to speak. So for me, it's a seven. Now,
1: you said that uh, you predicted all of the plot points. It was predictable.
0: Well, I also predicted things that didn't happen. Oh, that's in sort of so the opposite no, prediction. Yeah. No, I thought it was easy. I thought the get movie, the movie gave it up, gave itself up easily to to the audience being able to think, ah, something's going to happen here, but I'm not quite sure which which one it's going to be. So I like that. I was never completely surprised by what happened. But it wasn't always one of the two. It wasn't always the, of the two or three things I thought could happen. It wasn't always the, always the most obvious thing.
1: Yeah, the giant shootout of multiple clones pointing guns at one another didn't happen. The Mexican standoff, as it were. So,
0: what's your score for the plot storyline? I gave it. It dialogue, was a seven. I, I gave a seven.
1: I did it at oh, the top oh,
0: yeah. of the uh,
1: of my preamble, Reamble. amble. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, science now, science. I think was
0: well. Stop. Let um, me get one in here. Because I know nothing about the science of this movie. I do know, however, that the far side of the moon does not ever face the Earth. However, it does face the sun two weeks out of every four. So, yeah, props to the guy for checking that out.
1: <laughs> well, it would be essential for the de- deposition of helium, wouldn't it, that it faced the sun, if it's going to catch the solar wind. Ah. Uh, the science was good. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a scenario that is genuinely being considered for mineral exploitation of the moon. So a conceivable,
0: a conceivable scenario.
1: You could do it now. There's no technology that we saw in that, except implanting memories into clones.
0: Yeah, the cloning itself is fairly mundane.
1: We're not aware that any human cloning has happened. If it has, it probably is in China, isn't it? (laughs) There's no reason, if you can clone a sheep, I don't see any reason why you can't clone a human being.
0: Precisely, yeah. So the science was all quite sturdy, all based around existing science and the progress that science is heading toward. Except... The direction, the direction it's headed towards. Sorry, Richard. Yeah. Well, the only thing that Except, they got
1: wrong, I thought, was the science of the radio communications. And, you know, would beta you... Beta blockers. Would you the, really what put... they call the jammers. Would you put jammer towers up? Or would, you, or would you just switch it off somewhere? It is not how noise-cancelling headphones work, is it? And could you really contact Earth on a Panasonic Toughbook with a video link... I mean, would the Wi Fi reach to Earth if you just went? Around? Is that what
0: they use that for? Is it to contact Earth or is it to control something on this ship? No, he put it in the
1: rover and he drove around, didn't he? I suppose he's using the rover really to contact Earth. But he drove around to the the near side of the moon so that he could see the yeah. Earth and then communicate directly, presumably.
0: Ah uh, Yeah, so for me the science uh, a very a very creditable eight.
1: I'd give it an eight point five, I think, yeah. Right,
0: last thing is uh, action and special effects. Yeah.
1: And given the budget, given the constraints that they had, you know, the production design was good, practical effects for the robot. Um, the only things that I didn't like too much were some of the outside bits. Not all of them, just some of them looked a bit unrealistic. Markup for Big Track. Yeah, big tracks were great. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I thought the outside was all right. You know, I thought that the Moon Harvesters throwing soil in yeah. the back looked. I
1: did really like that. I liked it. the arcing slow fall of all the regolith that it was chucking up.
0: So yeah, I like, like. I like the fact that Moon Harvesters were throwing throwing muck out the back and moving slowly through through a, a you know a, a moonscape. Yeah, it was lovely.
1: All of which is to say, hmm, yes, I'll give it
0: a seven for the special effects. I'm gonna go a little bit better. I'm gonna give it an eight. Can I just say, there's one area that I'm not very happy with, and that Sam um, presents soliloquy as madness. You know, I'm talking to myself on a regular basis, that must have gone crazy. For anybody who's talking to themselves in lockdown, soliloquy is not a sign of madness. Talking to yourself is not a sign of madness. We only come to associate that since a very famous play by Shakespeare. Where somebody talks to himself as they go mad. But but soliloquy itself... In Shakespeare. ...in all Shakespeare. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, it happens all the time in Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, until, they, well, until, until that play became famous, talking to yourself was not seen as a sign of madness.
1: No, well, thank goodness for that, because I do it all the time.
0: I do it all the time. All today, the time. So. so don't call Samaritans. Keep talking to yourself, guys.
1: And you know what? Half the time, I know what I'm going to say. I don't know why I bother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and half the time I agree with myself. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> controversial. Now, wait, stop, Richard. One more thing to say. Oh, sh- I think here, not having Pink Floyd on the soundtrack was <laughs> an omission. Was it not?
1: But they do say the dark side of the moon, don't they, in Pink Floyd, and that's not right. Oh,
0: not far side, right. Yeah.
1: If you had a clone that you were keeping yeah. for organs, you wouldn't want to implant your memories into it. That would be a bit cruel. You'd rather, like, just a brainless body, wouldn't you? So that you could just take... Well, one, you, you wouldn't want
0: it to know it was a clone. Exactly. That'd be the last thing you'd want it to know. So so everything you did, every every interaction you had with it would be disingenuous, would it not?
1: I don't think you'd want it to have a brain pull. That's the point I'm making. Because you're never going to need a brain transplant. Oh, I mean, if you do, like... I mean, it's that's impossible. not it's not going to yeah. fix you, is it? <laughs> that has
0: been said to me before. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, I sympathise with your position there. No, you're right. I mean, uh, brain transplants—one would—that would not be realistic science, I don't think. Uh, and two, if your brain's wrong, your brain's wrong. I mean, having the same brain in again is not going to help. You know.
1: What is your overall score?
0: <laughs> well, this is a nine. I think this is the highest one so far. I really, really like this movie. I was not looking forward to this. This is a real surprise for me. Uh it's Why were not Why weren't you looking forward to it? God, more tedious Matt Damon like explorations into <laughs> solitary solitary life it on another planet on another on another rock. Oh god, you know, I was I, I really had the attitude coming in here and pff, blown away, mind blown, great, lovely, loved it, smashed it, whatever, yeah, great. And the budget's so small, I can't believe they did this on this budget. Really tight script writing, in most in, from, from most perspectives, just character developments lacking a little bit. Uh, But yeah, great. Just really good.
1: I like the way your overall score sort of exceeds all of the individual scores. And I think that's... (laughs) No, I think that's quite right. It's a gestalt (laughs) phenomenon, right? This movie is better than it has any right to be. My score is also also a nine, yeah. uh,
0: Heartily recommended. Right, okay. Well, that's pretty much it for uh, The Moon. Or Moon, rather. Which was a jolly, jolly good movie. High recommend from me. Not that I'm any authority on these things. Uh, Ooh, so, Richard, it, I, it behooves me to ask, or it behooves me, oh, yeah. or I am behooven. I, I'm, I'm hooven. I am I don't know, but it, I'm required to ask you what's, what's next week. Shit, man. The thing is, it's your damn turn. Do, do you know what? I, I really don't have any suggestions apart from the sequel to this one or Cloverfield 3. There is another movie
1: that David Bowie's son has done and it's called Mute. That's what I meant. Mute, the sequel to this one. It's not a sequel, it's not a sequel. Not a sequel. But we could watch that. My other option. Is it science fiction, Richard? Because we're still on a science fiction tip. It is science fiction, I believe, yes.
0: Okay, so, deeply respected viewers and listeners, listeners, sorry, please, if you want to be in the know when you listen to the podcast next week, uh, do your homework and watch Mute.
1: I nearly made you watch it this week, you know, on a double header, but I'm glad that we didn't.
0: Oof, well it's been a very busy week it has been. okay so next week uh, we've got Mute by the same director as as, as, as that what we watched uh, this week and uh, that should be an enjoyable romp through, through through whatever it is uh, anything else any other notes notices before we close today's today's annual general meeting Richard no
1: I'm just waiting for the amazing new outro theme music that you have prepared coming in any second now
0: okay bye, bye guys bye. Bye.